This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Good morning, church. I'll say it one more time. Good morning, church. Thank you. Just, you know, sometimes I need a little bit of, I'm here with you, pastor. Okay, that's all. That's all just a little bit of love back from you all helps a ton. Um, I want you to make sure you have a Bible in your hand. If you're new to uh, Redemption, Redemption Church is one of 10 congregations in Arizona. Um, and God has put us together as a church. And uh, we just love what God is doing. We are about all of life is for all for Jesus. You're going to hear that a lot when you're with us. So we're thankful that you're at the Alhambra congregation we love having you here but we love preaching through books of the bible so right now we're in the book of titus so we want you to have a bible in your hand if you don't have a bible could you just raise your hand real quick if you didn't bring one with you raise your hand real quick we want to get a bible in your hand otherwise turn in your bibles to titus chapter number two and uh, we're going to be in verses one through ten today titus chapter number two verses one through ten while you're turning there let me make a couple of really quick announcements it's ringing up here brother um so if we could if there's let me make a couple of quick announcements if there is uh anything that i want to bring to the forefront today is that we have corporate prayer coming up next next week may 1st at 6 p.m we want to be a praying church and so what we're trying to do is set times where we come together as a church uh, Sunday night we just pray and worship it's very uh, simple straightforward we're calling you as part of this church to come if you can that night pray with us we'd love to have you there um, and so make sure you write that down you'll see that on Facebook and the website also um, encounter is coming up May 14th if you don't know about encounter make sure to talk to Pastor Wayne uh, or go outside and there's a booth you can sign up there or ask questions um, it's a day in which we focus on the gospel and we also just kind of uh, respond to the gospel, spend a lot of time in prayer. The cost is $40 and if you have questions, make sure to talk to somebody about that. That's May 14th. Last thing and then, we will, and then we'll jump right into the sermon is we have a youth camp coming up. Thank you for all those who have donated and, and gave to that. Yeah, okay, if you want to clap. <laughs> go with it you know what I mean um, it, it, and so youth camp is coming up in June this is the last fundraiser and uh, they're getting close to raising the funds uh, if you want to buy flowers for Mother's Day why not buy them through the youth group they'll have a nice uh, floral arrangement for your for those those of you who want to get flowers for your mom and my wife is a florist if you didn't know that and so she's gonna help the youth they're gonna put these together and all the proceeds go towards uh, towards getting uh, to, towards getting these kids to camp. I think that's it for, for announcements, but make sure you check our website, redemptionaz.com. That's the Alhambra congregation. And make sure you look at all of those, uh, all of the announcements there. Also, Facebook or social media. Stay in touch with us because there's a lot of things happening in this church, all right? All right, that's enough of that. Titus chapter 2. It would be important for me, just so you guys know, before we start into this text, important for me to backtrack a little bit and here's the reason why some of us may not have heard um, what was preached before this and so if you didn't hear what was preached before this and you jumped in on this section of scripture your mind would immediately go oh 
just a bunch of rules that I can't live up to. Your mind would immediately go to, this is just another reason. It's a bunch of rules. It's outdated. It's old school. This stuff is not keeping up with modern times. And you'd write it off really quickly. So it's important for me to take a minute and and backtrack. And to start with week one, we talked about how Paul, who's writing this book to his son in the ministry uh, named Titus. And he calls him a son. This is important because I want you to see the thread that's flowing through this book of the family relationships that you're seeing. You're seeing a father writing to his son in the ministry. And what he says to him in the first week is he says, we're servants, we're secure in Christ, we're secure, he's in control, and that we share in this common faith. But see the connection that starts to flow through this. As he says in the second week, the first thing I want you to do as you are left there in this city of Crete is I want you to go to all of these churches that I've left you, the churches of these people who have been saved and these people who are needing to be established. And what I want you to do is raise up elders. And these elders are men who are who are. Men with reputation who can teach and correct, who can establish families. And then he contrasts these men with the type of men that they are seeing. And that's where Pastor West came in last week. And I I will tell you this. I got a comment this week about how I was shouting down uh Wes you know while he was preaching he 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 drew it out of me he was preaching so hard a little bit of my Pentecostal roots started coming out and I I, I tell you what uh uh uh, don't hate all right (laughs) haters gonna hate but uh if you want to shout me down it's it's all good right I ain't scared of you um but I tell you last week Pastor Wes destroyed it I mean it was amazing It really brought to light, why do we need this kind of father-son relationship? And then he says, make sure you go into this and start with the father, fathers. Make sure you have men of great reputation. And then he contrasts it with the kinds of bad teachers that they were seeing at this time. And I, I think it didn't take you very long last week to realize those bad teachers in that time sound a lot like the bad teachers in our time. These bad teachers that were there were men who were filled with greed. They weren't men who wanted to grow a family and wanted to lead by their reputation. They were filled with greed. And what they really wanted was to get rich. And so in order for them to get rich, they would try to lay rules on people and they would come into this this community and they would give this bad teaching that was filled with this greedy heart it was all about themselves and it wasn't about the family of God this greedy gospel only fits because the people of Crete wanted to hear a gospel that fit their idols which they wanted to be they were gluttonous greedy and all about themselves so the only way this kind of gospel starts to fall upon hearts the only way this kind of message this bad teaching falls upon hearts is when what people want is not God they don't want his glory they don't want to be about the family of God the people of God they want to hear 
something that says it is all about you. You can be rich. You can have this. You can have this. And God wants all that for you. And then you're going, well, man, if God's all about me, then why shouldn't I be all about me? So what you have is teachers who are all about themselves and communities who are all about themselves. And he ends this by saying, to the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled, all things are defiled. And this really hit me last week as Pastor West was preaching. He talked about how this idea of the sound doctrine is what flows through the whole book of Titus. And when he talks about the pure, all things are pure, and the defiled, all things are defiled, he's talking about how sound doctrine, when it falls upon pure hearts, they embrace it like sweet honey. I mean, sweet honey. It is good for their soul. They're, it is pure to them. They're listening to this sound doctrine. They're hearing this truth of the gospel, and it brings life to them. But to the hearts that are defiled, when they hear this sound doctrine, it makes them angry. They push against it. It doesn't sound like all of a sudden they're saying, well, if God's in control, then, then that means I'm not in control and it starts to fight. Or if, or if God's merciful, then you're saying I'm a sinner, then I don't like that. What we see in this is this idea of the people of God needing to have a pure heart so that the purity of sound doctrine would fall upon pure hearts, bringing forth new life in us. As we read this text, here's what I want to encourage you with. The reason I needed to start with that is because this that we're about to talk about is pure, sound, gospel doctrine. But there's something in us that will want to make this defiled and out of date and not relevant. But today, what we really need to wrestle with is what is God speaking to us and let it fall on pure hearts. So as we stand together and we're going to read Titus chapter 2, would you stand with me? And the reason why we stand is because we want to respect God's word and we also want to be good hearers. So as we're reading, let's honor his word and let's listen. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opportunity may be put to shame, having, so that an opportunity may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. 
Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. May they, they are to be well-pleased, not argumentative, not proliferating, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. He starts this with saying, but as for you. This is important because we need to hear this correctly. This is Paul speaking to Titus. After all the work that uh, Pastor West did last week and showing us what he's trying to do, he ties what West was saying last week into this first statement. What Paul was saying, here's the kinds of teachers, here's the kinds of, of faults, uh, the, the defiled hearts that this falls upon. And then he's saying, now, but as for you, as a father to a son, I want you to be different. As for you, I don't want you to live in that pattern. As for you, I, I, I've got something else for you. So he lays out this picture of the false teachers and defiled hearts. But he says, but as for you, I want you to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now this is a, a great sentence, and I, I want that to be on the screen for one reason. Teach what's accords with sound doctrine. The reason why I want to start with this is, is because I think um, what we end up doing when we hear teach what accords with sound doctrine, our minds immediately go to an educational class. That what we need to do is have a guy in front of a classroom or maybe a guy on stage who's going to transfer information to people. Our minds, when we think of teaching, immediately goes into the classroom where there is a teacher transferring information to students. And what that ends up doing inside of that information transfer is it puts it into this category of Education or teaching means getting information from the teacher to the student. But the interesting part of this getting information from the teacher to the student is that you would think if he's saying teach what accords with sound doctrine, that Paul would immediately go, well, here's what sound doctrine is. I want you to talk about, you know, the Trinity. I want you to talk about justification. I want you to talk about sanctification. I want you to go into all of these kinds of doctrinal statements. And, and as we did a little earlier, I want you to go through the Nicene Creed. Now, I'm not saying none of those things are, are bad or wrong, but isn't it interesting that he doesn't say teach what's in chords with sound doctrine and go into that kind of sound doctrine what he goes into is is older men here's need how you need to act younger men here's how you need to act older women here's how you need to act younger men here's how you need to act those who are slaves here's how you need to act this goes out of the category of just information transfer into where Paul is at in verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, As a servant of God, as an apostle, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth which, uh, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life with God. Here's what he's saying. 
that Paul is saying, as a servant of God, I'm as an apostle, have been sent from God for the sake of the faith of the elect, from the knowledge of truth with accords with godliness, so that their knowledge would be synced up with godly lives. This sounds a lot more like what Jesus says to his disciples when he gives them the Great Commission. He doesn't just go, hey, go put on classes and teach all these doctrines. He doesn't just say, he says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. This falls a lot more in line with this idea of a guy by the name of John Frame. He's a theologian. He gives this definition of theology. He says that theology is the application of God's word by persons to all areas of life. The application of God's word by persons to all areas of life. This, for me, changes the word of what it means to be a theologian. It doesn't just mean that you sit around and think deep thoughts, but that if you really understand the gospel, if you understand this theology, if, it, if, it's, if it's resonating and if it's really, if you're really a theologian, it's not just I have it all up here, but that you're applying it to all places, to all areas of life. This to me sounds a lot more like how a parent teaches his children rather than an educational system where you just stand in the front of the class and transfer information. That when I think about my kids, I don't want them to just be smart. I want them to see those things and the wisdom of God. I want them to understand and know the gospel, and I want them to see it lived out in their lives. A parent's not just thinking about, how can I transfer information? He's saying, how can I teach them to obey all that has been commanded to you. This is why in order for us to really get into what is happening here, we have to understand that as we're listening, we're listening in a different context, a different culture, and in a different time. And we've all been through different things and different backgrounds. And so when we're listening to what Paul is saying to Titus, we might be listening, like I shared from the, from the first week, we might be listening from afar and we think, man, this is out of date. Or we might be listening from even nearer and we don't understand what's taking place place and it's really important for us to understand what is happening well here's Paul who shares to his son to go raise up families which are churches and that they are to function as under sound teaching as a family guys hear this the church is a family the church is a family made up of older and younger, men and women, diverse people who are servants on mission. Church is a family. And the reason why this is difficult for us to hear is because we are drenched in or we are a part of or we've been raised in this individualistic idea, this individualistic culture, this 
mindset, this worldview. That's all about me and mine and and what I can do for myself and how I could pull myself up and, and raise myself and succeed over others. Whoever I have to step on to get above, wherever I have to go to get to that next step, we are raised in this idea of it's all about me and what I want. So we have a hard time understanding family. Also, family faces this reality of a lot of people try to run the church like a company. Now listen, there's great things that we can learn from companies on how we can orchestrate and organize and set things in place. But I'm going to tell you this, a company, and I work and help run a company, a company functions differently than a family. I've seen the greatest company leaders be horrible leaders in their home. Why? Because they go around and try to boss everybody around and they go home and their wife and kids are like, you ain't my boss. (laughs) And then they have to serve and lead and die to self and function in a way in which Christ and how he served his bride and his his children. The family should be the first and primary understanding that we have at the church. Now, and, and I'm not just saying that that secludes us because I think the family should understand that they are missionaries and servants for sure. They're missionaries in service. It's not just, we're just this tight-knit family. Nobody else can be a part of this family. We're not serving in missionaries to the world. No, that this family is missionaries and servants in the world, but that there is this understanding of family. And what that does for us is change the way we think about church from singular. I, 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 was try, I looked up online this week, uh, uh, church, what's a church? There was all these videos and all these statements and people were getting real creative. And at the end of it, their big theological statement was, you can't go to church because the church is you. You're the church. Now I get where they're going with it. Except for the fact that it feeds into this reality that people in their individualism love to hear that them by themselves are the church and they don't need the family and the people of God. We, the people of God, are the church. When someone thinks of family, it should push against just attending a service, although us gathering together is good, or us just giving of our tithes, or us just doing kind of things that that, that you would think of, or singing songs, or doing all these things. When we think of family, it should push against our ideas of church and push into this idea. When you think of family, you think of a people that love each other, that care for others, that discipline each other, that confront each other. They provide for each other they want each other to succeed this is hard for people outside of family to understand but I remember when my first baby was born he's 14 now which is just weird comes out crying I'm holding him bawling I've cried with every kid five it just never gets old and I'm looking at this little helpless like slimy kid 
who does nothing for me. And every part of who I am is going, I want him to be better than me. I want him to grow. I want him to be healthy. I want him to, to go far. That my whole life switches from this self-orientation to how can I step on people to get to the top to going, how can I serve this, this kid? It changes. It's not about me and how do I elevate myself. It's how do I serve and love. It changes the mentality from this self-centeredness to now it's going, how do we grow? How do we move forward? How do we remain healthy? And what one of us do affects all of us. In a family, you see that, right? When one of the kids is hurting, all of us. When mom's hurting, all of us are. When dad's hurting, all of us are hurting. When one is hurting, all of us are hurting. When one sins, it affects everybody. And you see brokenness and the things around us. A family is so tied together that what, what hurts one, what one celebrates, everybody celebrates. The other thing you see about family is it's not about we build off target age groups. I, I've had people ask me this as I'm building this church. And to, as, as, as us as elders, they've sat down in church growth methods and they've just said to me, hey, what's your target age group? Uh, that doesn't make sense in family. You don't have a target age group in family. In a family, all ages... All generations, all genders, all peoples are needed to make that family what it is. The older and the younger have to be in relationship for there to be that family. It's when we start isolating stuff and we see so many people who think of church as I go to this kind of young, hip church where there's just young people and that's it. That's dangerous. Or I go to this old church where there's just old people and that's it. That's dangerous. We start uniting around and being around the kinds of that the family is made up of kids and teens and adults and older and younger and all are important for the family to function in the way that it needs to function. I do believe as the, God, as, as the gospel has done work in our hearts and we have really started praying, God, make us into the kind of people that we should be. And we started praying, God, even bring in diversity of the races that are represented in our community. And we've seen massive diversity that, we, that we've never experienced before over the last few years. We've seen an increase of that as God has brought in the different races, the different ages as churches have merged together. And there's people from different generations and ages. And I look around this room and I think about how the gospel can take root and take and start to do this work of bringing these different kinds of people together. But I will tell you this, when people ask, hey man, I want to know you, I want to get to know you, I want to sit down with you one-on-one -on -one and, and just really get to know you. I don't mind doing that. But I tell you what I do mind. Is I don't think people can really get to know me without knowing my people.
They can't. You all see things and know things about me and, and, and understand things about me and I know things about you. And the way that we live life in community is a great reflection of, of ways that, you, that we interact, that, that people can really get to know me inside of my family, my community. I've had people who have tried to isolate or separate me from my wife, right? Like somebody says something bad about my wife, I confront them and say, yeah, but I never said anything bad about you. You said something bad about my wife as as me, right? We're in this. We are this family, and the reality of that family means all of us are important. So before we get into each individual part, old men, old women, younger women, younger men, and and what you're going to notice in this is that he's not being like, here's the only categories. Because some of you are going to go, well, I don't see single women mentioned in here. I don't see single men. I don't see, you know, I don't know where this is all going. Like, maybe I don't fit into any of these categories. What I'm hoping that you see in all of this is as you break this down into a list, you could start breaking these apart. But the whole point of this is when people of God start interacting together around the gospel, what starts to take place is generations start to draw people closer to Christ, start to see sanctification or growth in Christ take place. And as you're working through these things, if you get to the end of it and go, well, I don't know, where, where's my checklist? What do I need to do? What do you want me to walk away with? I would say this, because we're about to jump into those, but what do I want you to walk away with? And I'm going to put it up front here. I want you to go and cross barriers and reach out to people who are not like you, where you look at others and go, man, I want to learn from them. I want to grow from them. I want to start wrestling with these doctrinal things, and I really want these things to be lived out in my life. Get off my pedestal. Let's start with old men. Just so you know, Wes makes it really clear whenever he preaches, and I just want to acknowledge it. I am an old man, okay? (laughs) So if there's any category in this that I feel most connected to, it's the old man category. So let me preach to myself for a minute. Older men, verse 2, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. What I love about this is that He's saying the type of man that an older man should be. And in that, not only is he mentioning the type of man a man should be, but he's also exposing the temptation of older men. Older men, like myself, has a tendency to be grumpy, to pick arguments, to be cynical. And to be weary of giving themselves for service. There's an arrogance in older men. An arrogance that they've been there, done that. There's an arrogance in which they feel like nobody understands them and nobody wants to listen to them. And all they can do is contradict and contradict and contradict the things that are, of, that are happening in the community. And so the tendency is for them to isolate And to not serve. What I love about this text 
is Paul saying here should be the aim of an older man, is that they should be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and in love, and in steadfastness. And older men, if I could summarize this, should not go around demanding respect. This is important because I see this not only in myself as young leaders are coming up. I see this not only in, in other older men who are, who are in our community. Is that they think that their age is what should demand the respect rather than the character by which they're walking. So they say, because I've lived a long life, I know everything. And rather, living in a way that is in accords with sound doctrine, they're demanding respect based upon their age. But this is saying, look, as an older man, you shouldn't be looking for respect based upon your age, but that you should be worthy of a younger man looking at you and saying, I want to be like you. You should be a model of service. You should be a model of self-control. You should be a model of what it means to be sound in your faith. And you should be a model of what it means to love and to be steadfast. We need. We need these kind of older men in our community to be examples. To be models. The second one goes into older women. Now, obviously, these are older women who have drinking problems. <laughs> I guess the older you get as a woman, you start loving a little scotch on the side to put yourself to sleep. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train young women. I'm going to stop right there before we go into the next place. This then speaks to that same mentality. The older a man or a woman gets, it seems as if the more disconnected they get or the more bold they get in what they say. And instead of developing an understanding for a younger generation, they develop a heart that's judgmental and they spend more time talking bad about the younger people. They spend more time slandering than they do helping. Here's what he's saying. That we need older women who will love and care and help in teaching the next generation, in leading and in teaching. And instead of giving themselves to too much wine and gossip, they should invest their older years in training others. Let me stop before I move on to the younger, because here's, here's what I, I want to say in this. As, as my age increases, the more I realize and recognize how much I need people who are older than me 
to invest in my life. I could name person after person in this community. Dave and Lisa, Jim and Emily. The list could go on of people who have invested in me, have poured into my life, who have given themselves, and not just in a way that says respect me, but I look at them and I say to them, I want to be like that. And let me just for a moment speak to the young people in this church. I have so many people who come to me and say, Pastor, where is the group for me? Where's the young adults who like to basket weave, you know? Where's the biker community? Where's the, you know, where is your, what what ministry do you have for, uh, you know, for, for young men with spiky hair? You know, where's that group? Where's that group? Can you get a group? And, and every time there seems to be a demand for where are the people like me? And I have to spend a moment to stop them right where they are and just say, let me just say this to you the best I can in love. You don't need people like you. You need some older folks in your life. You need some married couples in your life. You need people in your life who are on different places because what that ends up doing is bringing us back into what it means to be a part of a family, not a hip, cool, young church. Guard yourself from wanting to create a church in your own image rather than the image and likeness of Christ. Guard yourself from wanting to surround yourself from people who will be like you, act like you, and tell you what you want to hear. Submit yourselves to those who are older and wiser and worthy of respect. The next two it goes into is younger women and younger men, and i got to move faster if I'm going to get through this, so Lord, help me. Younger women. Just so you know, this is not trying to categorize every younger woman. Also remember that this is also a very different time and different context. And I know there are many younger women who would consider themselves to be, you know, uh, not falling into this category because when it says younger women, it only falls into uh, seemingly a mother. And so here's what I would encourage you with. If this doesn't necessarily fit every one of your categories, let's still wrestle with what does it mean to be discipled by an older generation. But this says younger women. Then here's what it says in verse 4 and 5. Let's spend just a moment here. And so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This is hard for us because many of us would want to fight against this and push against this. And I pray that, that it, it, with everything in us that we would be looking to what is the pure word of sound doctrine that could fall on the pure heart so that we could learn from and grow in godliness here. 
without entering into the many debates that are there, I'll just state it this way. This is not speaking to the reality of young women being in the workforce. This is not saying women cannot have a career. This is not saying that they cannot be in those places and ministries in churches. This is not where it's going. What it's speaking to in a very real way is a problem that young mothers would struggle with. Here's what that would be. Is that home and family being the primary place of service for a young mother pushes against a heart that says, if I'm in the home serving and loving these children, I'm not doing something that is better. Like out there, I'm missing out on all the things that are out there. And while I'm here dying to myself, it would be so much much better if I could get my identity and the things that are out there. This is not speaking to they can't have jobs or they can't be in the workforce. It's speaking to priority. This is also not speaking that if you're home, you're actually there doing what you're supposed to be because there could be someone who's at home and they're really not attentive to their family. They're taking pictures and posting them on Facebook and they're, they're showing that they're mothering, but they're really distracted by everything else. This isn't speaking to that kind of thing. What it's saying is this, is that the home is essential is essential for what it means to be a church and, and, and for what it means to be living out sound doctrine. And as we live in this countercultural way inside that these young mothers are going to have to wrestle with, what does it look like to live out this gospel in such a way where I'm dying to self, serving my children, loving my community? And how does that look? How do I wrestle with making sure That even if I'm working and even if I'm doing other things, how do I make sure that my family, my children, my husband is priority? The beauty of this text is not just me coming up here and as a 38-year-old man trying to answer all of your guys' question about what it is to be a young mother. The beauty of this text is my wife came to me as a young mom and she said, Aaron, If I just had an older woman who could help me through this, I don't know what I'm doing. And it was foolish of me to try to think that I could help her in that. And I'm not standing up here saying, here's how you need to do it or what you need to do or quit your job or do this or do this or do this. What I am saying is, with a humble heart, seek the gospel community, other women to help you walk through these things, to pray through these things. What does it look like for you to be faithful? to God and to your community. My wife shared this journey yesterday as she was speaking at a uh, a leadership uh, thing over at Redemption Arcadia uh, with with some other people. There's a bunch of women in the room and just seeing their wrestle with it and hearing my wife talk about this made it so clear, man, we need to wrestle with this as a community. The last thing, and I'm already out of time, but just let me mention these quickly. Younger men, Notice that he just kind of doesn't give as big of a list. And it's not because uh, younger men don't have things to work on, but he says, younger men, I urge you to be self-controlled. I think his list would have been so long that he couldn't have fit it in a book (laughs) if he was trying to figure out all the things young men should do. So he's like, how can I categorize all the lust, 
all the selfish ambition, all the flakiness? How can I categorize all the problems that young men are facing as they pursue only their selfish gain rather than giving themselves for the good of and the glory of God and the good of their family? How can I categorize it? And he uses this one word. You need to be self-controlled. The last thing that I think would be important for us is that servants section. I I got caught up somewhere, but this idea of what it means to be a slave, I know it's hard for us to fit this in our category because in our Western mindset, our minds go just to slavery, American slavery, the type of slavery that is horrific that the church spent much time trying to fight against and stand at a true church. This, this is not the kind of slavery that I think is being mentioned here. I think it's this kind of more better understood by like this employee-employer kind of idea. I think where we should go with this is that the marketplace is an amazing mission field. And that we should see that by us being submissive and having the right heart and being good workers and, and, and walking this thing out and being uh, really in a place where we're working for the glory of God and that in that, that our life and our faith can be seen through our vocation, I think we should really wrestle with what does it look like to live this gospel sound doctrine out in the workplace. Now I know the tendency for us is to go, well, make this more clear, make this more practical. And I I wish that I could, but I hope that you hear me on this. Go talk to some people. Wrestle with these things. Pray. Ask God to show you how this is to be lived out in your areas of life. And you're saying, well, why, why would I want to live this way? And I think... This text makes it really clear when it talks about in verse 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works that your teaching can show integrity and dignity. Verse 10 says this, not proliferating, but showing all good works so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, your Savior. Here's what's at stake. The very reputation of our God that they're going to see our good works and they're going to glorify our Father who's in heaven we would much rather just say I got it all down here than it would be that how can we put this doctrine on and live this out in front of the world, the city, the people around us, that in our workplace and, 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 and in, in our community, that people would see in this family the gospel being lived out, sound doctrine being put into practice. And what takes place in that is that the people of God become a display people. They become a people who are to show forth the gospel through their good works. And in that, as the family of God, we are displaying the very purposes and mission and the gospel through our lives. His fame, His glory, the very recognition of who He is, is at stake. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I'm going to pray for us before we partake in communion today.
Father, I ask that something in this list would jump out and sink deep into areas of our hearts. Lord, I'm asking that the very Spirit, Your Spirit would come and convict, convict us of the areas in which we are not living these things out that we say we believe. Lord, I'm praying that as as Your Spirit convicts us that we would that we would repent. That we would bring it into the light of our community, the people around us. That we would want to live and walk these things out. Lord, I know that everything in us wants to kind of disconnect. Well, that's old times and this is new. How do we live? And Father, I pray that we would, in community, really begin to disciple one another. That as a family, that we would submit ourselves to one another. We would learn from the older and the younger. That we would live our lives as a family of God that is growing each other in sound doctrine that we would be discipling one another and helping one another in these things that we are wrestling through and Lord as we come to this table today I pray that we would come as the family of God eating of this body drinking of this cup this very work that you've done for us to make us your children, to make us your family. And I pray as we come together that we would come uh, hungry and thirsty knowing that you have done the work for us. Church, here's what I'm going to ask you to do is to continue this time of prayer around the Lord's table. If you are not a believer, this, this is not a a place that we would ask you to partake in this. We wouldn't want you to do anything that's not true of you. But for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, here's what we're going to ask you to do. When you come and take communion, take it back to your seats. And I want you to gather with a few people around you. Maybe it's your family, uh, your, your immediate family, or maybe it's just others from the family of God that you're praying with. But I want you to pray with one another. Maybe even confess sin and, and pray through these things together. So the tables are open, you're welcome to come, and then go back to your seats, and then we'll end in a song. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.